Welcome, listeners, to the inaugural episode of Mission Compliance, the podcast that unlocks the growth potential for defense contractors. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the world of subcontracting, a strategic lever for business growth in the ever-evolving defense industry. Joining us is Mike Frieder, CEO of On-Call Compliance Solutions and your compliance solutions expert. With his wealth of knowledge and experience, Mike will guide us through the intricacies of subcontracting, revealing the strategic benefits and challenges it presents. Discover how contracting can be a game changer, uh, allowing you to tap into a wider pool of expertise, foster innovation, and transcend traditional boundaries. But beware, with great power comes great challenges. We'll navigate those challenges together and provide actionable insights for defense contractors and business owners alike. Whether you're a defense contractor, a business owner, or simply an eager listener hungry for new knowledge, fasten your seatbelts. Our captivating journey into the heart of subcontracting is about to begin. Join us on Mission Compliance, the podcast that propels your defense business to new heights. So let's set the stage here, Mike. I'm here with Mike Frieder, an, an expert in, in all this compliance stuff, an important aspect of which is, is today's topic, subcontracting. So, Mike, could you explain what makes subcontracting a viable strategy for business growth, particularly in the defense industry? Yeah, fantastic. And Roman, thanks so much for that awesome intro. Um, again, uh, if, if this is your first time sort of tuning in, uh, you know, We've got a really massive YouTube audience, but we're starting out playing around with this podcast stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're carry over from our YouTube or Instagram, Facebook, or any of other amazing social media audiences, or if you're a current client or even a past client, um, I'm super excited to have you here. We're kind of, um, you know, trying out this podcast format to look at doing something in a more relaxed way uh, that we can kind of have some more conversational approaches to some of these topics. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of places you can go in compliance. Uh, and we're super excited to, you know, have you along for, for our little journeys. We sort of figure out uh, what home looks like as far as a podcast and just really trying to go more in depth on some of these topics to deliver, you know, what business owners and, you know, IT directors and general counsels and everybody else needs who winds up sort of getting entangled in this whole DFARS, NIST and CMMC compliance stuff. So, uh, again, if it's your first time sort of getting to know us here, Roman is amazing. He's um, uh, an absolute superstar when it comes to media. And then, of course, uh, you know, I am the president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and On-Call Computer Solutions. We're a global managed IT services firm uh, specializing in U.S. defense. Uh, and, of course, On-Call Compliance Solutions is our division uh, that I lead uh, most actively, uh, where we help defense contractors accomplish the unaccomplishable, get, get compliant with all these DFARS laws, NIST SP-8171, and prepare for CMMC. We help them do that quickly. We help them do it for a cost-effective way, uh, means of doing it, uh, and we just generally help them understand how to turn being compliant into a huge win for their company that can ultimately really help them scale their businesses up in what I think is one of the most valuable areas, which is defense. So I uh, appreciate that. And again, uh, I guess the last credential I'll sort of mention, uh, just because it's our first uh, podcast, I, I promise I won't go through this every time, but... Uh, I am just for reference, a CMMC registered practitioner and a CMMC registered professional on the assessment side. So I think another perspective that I bring to this is that I not only sort of have uh, experience assessing hundreds and hundreds of defense contractors uh, when it comes to DFARS, NIST, and, and also preparing them for CMMC, 
but we also have a very, you know, I have an in-depth understanding of the assessment process when it comes to CMMC, you know, again, I'm a trained professional. Uh, and, um, you know, so again, I think that we'll be addressing topics on either side, both the preparation side and the assessment side, uh, as we uh, continue to produce podcast episodes. So super excited about that. Let me get uh, to to your question, which was, um, l- let me ask for you to do it again. I know it's it's on subcontractors. Sure. Go ahead. Could you please explain what makes subcontracting a viable strategy for business growth, particularly in, in the defense industry? Yeah, awesome. Um, and it's a, it's a phenomenal question. And, you know, it's a it's a complex question when it comes to defense contracting, because, uh, you know, one is most defense contracts are fulfilled by many, many different companies. Right. So vendors, supply chain. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about supply chain when it comes to defense, the, the defense industrial base. And so, you know, I think this is a really great topic for us to start out on, because ultimately, you know, as a great example, let's say that, you know, the, the government puts out, you know, a contract to build a new tank or a new warfighter plant. Okay, so what happens is they put out that big giant contract for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars. And typically there's one company, you know, we'll call them large primes. Great examples like BAE Systems, Raytheon, Lockheed. They're expert at winning those deals and then putting together subcontractors under them who can actually perform different parts of the work. So as an example, let's say that we have a hypothetical defense contract for a new tank. All right. Uh, Let's say that, you know, we have a prime uh, company who wins that contract. Uh, that prime company is not going to be the one that builds every aspect of that tank. There's there's no one company, I think, that has uh, sort of all the expertise under one roof or very few companies that have that level of expertise under one roof to actually produce it. And then they probably couldn't produce it enough volume to satisfy the contract. So what do they do? They go to companies who are capable of making the various components of said tank. Uh, and they're going to go and explore companies that uh, may be machine parts producers, job shops. Uh, manufacturers, they they may explore companies who are experts in the programming of the systems that go into that tank. And then they may explore, uh, you know, munitions creators who are making the, you know, the, the particular bullets uh, or missiles for that tank, you know, again, whatever is applicable there. So, you know, really one thing that I think is very misunderstood about defense contracting is defense contracting is a team sport. And there are a lot of really small businesses involved in defense contracting, businesses you would never imagine. Uh, we have tons of clients that only have one employee to them. We have tons of other clients who have tens of thousands you know, of employees, even hundreds of thousands of employees in some of our clients' cases. And all of these companies actually wind up working together to create the end products that the DOD needs. And so I think you know, when it comes to subcontractors, it's so important to understand that Uh, One, when it comes to compliance, everyone in the supply chain has to be compliant. They have to be. One, it's critical that that information remains safe. Two, uh, remember when you're getting that work from that prime or even two or three levels below the prime, you're still ultimately representing that contract and that prime, whether they tell you that or not. And so as a result, what has to happen is uh, you really just have to be in a position where you're carrying through the same weight in terms of information security as all of the other people in that chain are carrying. So that's both the subcontractors below you and then also the prime contractors above you uh, who are higher in the supply chain. So very, very important. 
Um, and again, I think the biggest misunderstanding is, you know, people don't just go win these defense contracts and do all the work themselves. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I would say that probably the majority, if not almost the entirety of defense contracts are actually fulfilled by companies who their real expertise is in project management and winning the actual deal. Uh, you know, handling the budget side, handling, you know, the red tape and the government side of things while they rely on other smaller companies below them to actually do the sort of work and deliver the pieces of the product. So, um, yeah. Um, did I answer that? Okay. That, that's a great question. That's a, that's a great answer. I think that'll provide a lot of um, information and a lot of the necessary um, questions that our listeners uh, may, may, may be having. So now that we have, so, so now that we know that subcontracting is a crucial aspect of, of growth in the space, let's take action on that. So what's your best piece of advice for defense contractors considering subcontracting for, for, for the first time? Uh, great question, right? Especially if you are new to defense, uh, which a lot of a lot of our clients coming in are, they're new to defense or they're sort of pursuing maybe their second or third sort of contract or opportunity. Um one, uh, breaking into defense, first thing I would do is, you know, if you make a product, make a cert, you know, or you perform a service, I think it's a great idea to look into whether or not that product or service might be useful for the defense industry. Um, you would just be so surprised. The defense industry ultimately consumes everything. Um, and I think one of my favorite parts about the defense industry is that year after year, it seems no matter what, the defense industry spends more money than just about any other industry in the world, period. Uh, I mean, our U.S. defense spending is more than virtually any other military uh, or country combined. Uh, so, again, immense spending, immense opportunity. And the sad thing is a lot of people don't think about defense work. They don't really sort of uh, think about the idea that they need to you know, pursue work within the defense industry because it involves RFPs and you know, what they view as sort of complex contract vehicles and you know, it's a lot of perceived red tape that, to be honest with you, I'm not going to tell you it's not there, but it is easier to navigate uh, than you think. And, you know, there's some really great resources out there. I think the Small Business Administration has tremendous resources for getting into defense work. Uh, there are uh, lots and lots, especially if you're a manufacturer, there's a lot of different things like MEP, uh, MPEC or MEP, uh, you know, they're dedicated manufacturing, um, you know, sort of uh, government groups out there. They're all free. And they essentially allow for uh, for people who want to get into defense work to help get onto one of these contracts. So um, one is, again, if you're looking to expand your business or maybe you've got one or two you know, sort of defense contracts and you're on the fence and you're thinking to yourself, how do I get more of this business? Um, again, you do have to do a little research. You're going to have to put in some work. The fastest way to do that work, I think, is look up your local small business administration office. And, you know, I'll tell you one thing that's worked for our business is we've actually interacted quite a bit with uh, what are referred to as SCORE mentors. Uh, SCORE mentors are people who are either retired or have been very successful in business, and they actually volunteer their time to help people who are trying to build their businesses. And then they get paired with all of the access that the government has to offer. Uh, remember, the government's got a lot of things that it needs to get done. So they have a high level of demand for people to come in and do that work. And yet most private companies don't ever think about that. They don't ever really pursue that, uh, which leads me to my next sort of point on that, which is, you know, remember, uh, there are more dollars being spent in defense today than ever in the history of our country, of any country. And yet there are less and less defense contractors out there who can do the work. 
that's amazing to me. Um, and to the tune of since 2019, there are like half the number of companies going after defense work than there used to be, which again, to me is mind blowing. Um, it's, but it's sad. And the reason is because of some of these compliance standards like DFARS, NIST, SP 800-171, and of course, this upcoming CMMC. And I think that there's a big knowledge gap. And it's one of the reasons why I think we're doing this podcast is to try to deliver some of that knowledge down to some of the smaller and mid-sized companies who are highly capable, amazing at what they do, but have never even thought about getting into defense work. Or if they have, um, they're in a situation where they just think it won't work for them. Uh, I think it can work. I think that, you know, there's a lot of really, really, really expensive consultants out there. Um, we took a different angle on this and we said, hey, look, this just can't be this hard. It is actually that hard. We're going to find a way to make it cost effective. So uh, one, if you're trying to get into subcontract work, number one, your head is in the right place. I think that would be the biggest message is your head is in the right place. Um, you're not necessarily trying to win the government contracts. You just want to get on with somebody who already knows how to win those contracts if you're first sort of starting out in defense work. I think that's a great strategy. Uh, two is I think the government itself can help you. You can, again, talk with your local SBA office. You can talk with a lot of different local resources, and they will be able to really guide you uh, to where the right fit for you might be. Um, yes, you can go to Fed, Fed Biz Ops. Yes, you can go and search uh, all the free government websites. And yes, there are definitely paid vendors out there who will help you to find deals that seem to match your skill set. Um, I would tell you that I think, uh, you know, ultimately, it is tough to win your first one because the contracts have to be in the right formats. And there are people out here who, uh, for, you know, you can hire them to help you write responses to those government contracts. So essentially RFP writers, uh, lots and lots of options. But again, I think the simplest way is go find someone who's already in the defense industry, tell them what you do, say, hey, look, I'd really love to work with you on a project sometime. And, you know, some networking and some phone calling like that by your sales team will definitely win you some business. Um, and I guess my final thought is ultimately a lot of people have just simply fallen into, uh, you know, defense subcontracting because you know what, they had the right product, they were there at the right time, or they offer the right service. And that's just sort of, they sort of stumbled into this, if you will. And that is true. I think there's a lot of companies out there who have just simply stumbled into it. Right. More important, arguably, than utilizing subcontractors for business growth is selecting the right subcontractor for your business. So what are some key factors that a business should consider when choosing their sub their subcontractor? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So going sort of the opposite direction, let's say that you've won some defense business. Uh, and now, you know, in a great, here's a, here's a classic example, right? So the job shop or the machine shop that produces parts, uh, you know, they may not do some of the chemical stuff in-house, right? Like anodizing or painting. And so they may need to, um, you know, get someone from outside of that organization to come in and do that anodizing or painting for them to create the finished product that they need to create. Um, very, very common scenario. Uh, and, you know, I think, what do you need to think about? Well, number one is you need to think about compliance. Again, there are laws when it comes to information security. And if that subcontractor is going to need to know that this is a part for a tank or is going to need to see the plans or the technical diagrams to do their job uh, or know what the material is. And, and again, there's technical information being passed that could identify this as defense related. Those subcontractors either have to be compliant themselves or they have to be able to work within your secure environment under your rules uh, and follow compliance guidelines there. So I think that's another, another great topic 
we'll probably get into that more deeply in another podcast. Uh, but you know, Hey, look, one question is, are you, so from a strategy perspective, are you going to bring a subcontractor in under your roof or are you going to actually subcontract with them and make them sort of be compliant themselves? Are they willing to be compliant? I think that's one of the largest challenges for the really small businesses is if you're a small to mid-sized business and you've got a subcontract work, trying to find even smaller companies that can deal with the expense and the and effort required to be compliant, it's a real challenge. So, um, you know, what do you do about that? Well, I think the easiest thing to do and what is recommended to do is see if you can bring those people onto your systems, into your facility or onto your IT systems where you know the security is right, where compliance won't be such a burden on them. And certainly that's going to keep costs low. Of course, the alternative is go out and find subcontractors that are already compliant, that they already get it, and they're looking for more defense work. I think either of those two strategies are really, really solid strategies. Um, I think the final thought that I have is you know, we obviously work with a lot of defense contractors. We've, we've literally, we manage technology for hundreds of defense contractors. And of course, we also uh, manage compliance for them. Uh, and then of course, we, we, for even more, we go do one-time consultations where we're bringing them to the point of compliance with DFARS and NIST. I think one of the biggest things that's relevant to this question that we do during those consultations is we have an actual subcontractor written policy and uh, there's basically a policy that's internal that all, all of the personnel get trained on so they understand what the requirements are. And then the second piece of that is there's an, another piece, which is an actual uh, form that subcontractors have to sign off on. Uh, if they're in the facility, they've got to follow NIST guidelines. If they're uh, working on their own, they've got to basically uh, submit you know, a, a questionnaire stating that they are compliant themselves. And again, we, we give all of that documentation, all those policies, and we teach the standard operating procedures around them to our clients. Uh, and so I think that's sort of one very important thing that I would put out there is just, you know, know that there are definitely some, some documentation requirements. You don't want to just sort of send, you know, technical diagrams out to any, any subcontractor not having a clue about what, where their compliance lies. Um, and finally, you know, you may want to have policies in place that discuss the idea of sanitizing uh, whatever it is you have to send to your subcontractors of any kind of controlled unclassified information to make sure that they couldn't possibly determine what on earth, uh, you know, whatever they have in their hands is for. And it's just simply not something you can really tell, uh, you know, what the purpose is. Uh, you couldn't sort of link it back to defense. So, Mike, now that we've covered the why, how, and what next of subcontracting in the defense industry, I have one more question for you, and it may be the most important question I could ask. If my company is in the defense industry, can't I just subcontract my security to the Avengers? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Captain America might uh, might be the right guy for the job. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think uh, you know, is you know, we we get all kinds of wild responses. You know, I'll, I'll give you a great example of a response we got earlier this week. Uh, we got told by an incoming client that their purchasing officer had said, well, we just really need you to submit an SPRS score so that I can basically pass you through the system. Um, I don't know if that is full-blown illegal or not, but 100%, if that is the case, okay, and you get a purchasing officer or somebody at a prime that says, just go submit your SPRS score, here's how to do it, and you haven't actually gotten compliant, you don't actually have a fully a fully vetted system security plan and a plan of action with milestone and you haven't really done the homework um you know you haven't documented your system you don't have the policies in place your personnel are not trained 
you are putting your business at risk. Um, and I don't want to get like crazy serious about this, but look, the penalties are enough to put you out of business. I mean, they really are. You are dealing with the number one threat to national security, which is information security. And look, if you want to know why the world's having such a hard time right now, you know, we got China over here who has been able to essentially literally steal the entire plan set for an F-35 fighter plane replicated within a year or two and then begin improving upon that. That's a huge problem for us. It's a huge problem. You know, the Chinese uh, dang, uh, you know, Humvee equivalent, right? It's, it's identical. We talk about this all the time. So, no, I think you, you not only don't want to, you don't want to hire the Avengers. I, I think ultimately you really need to be working with, um, you know, CMMC certified professionals. Um, obviously, we do that kind of work and are happy to help anytime we can. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, you know, this is something that if you're going to be in defense work, as I always say, do it right. I mean, follow the rules. And I think what you'll find is when you follow the rules, what really happens is there is a culture of understanding and respect and frankly, pride that proliferates about the fact that you're doing defense work. Um, that goes a long way for your team, your staff, your sales team, especially. Uh, all of those things are big, big pride points. And, you know, when you do it right, you just sleep better at night. And frankly, you win more business, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, Captain America, love that guy. But I don't think he's the guy you want working on compliance. I mean, I mean, listen, in, in defense of the Avengers, Iron Man's got got unlimited pockets and Hulk can smash any threats that come their way. So it is. Yeah. Well, hey, if you're watching our if you're watching uh, our podcast on YouTube, uh, maybe maybe the only thing that should that Hulk should be doing is Hulk smashing that subscribe button right now. Right. That's what we always say in our videos. Exactly. And that wraps up our very first episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has has provided you with with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to extend our appreciation to Mike Frieder for joining us today and sharing his expertise and experience with us. But the conversation doesn't end here. We, we encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. You can also visit our website at missioncompliancepodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and bonus content. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes are released, and we truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission.